I'm reading today from Second Chronicles. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, his love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord, and King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 head of cattle, and 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. The priests took the positions, as did the Levites, with the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for praising the Lord, and which were used when he gave thanks, saying, His love endures forever. Opposite the Levites, the priests blew their trumpets, and all the Israelites were standing. Solomon consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord, and there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the fellowship offerings because the bronze altar he had made could not hold the burnt offerings or the grain offerings and the fat portions. So Solomon observed the festival at the time for seven days and all of Israel with him, a vast assembly of people from Lebohamath to the wadi of Egypt. On the eighth day they held an assembly for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days and the festival for seven days more. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their homes, joyful and glad in heart, and for good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and for the people of Israel. And when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, he had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace. The Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. And when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal. Yeah, it's not very often you get a message from Chronicles, uh, one of those books of the Bible we don't read too often. Uh, Chronicles is written after Israel goes into exile, probably written by Ezra. And so the Hebrew Bible actually has First and Second Chronicles as the end of the Bible. And uh, they put it at the end of the Bible because it's not written by a prophet and because it is looking back at events uh, written uh, back at events that are written prior to uh, to uh, the writing of it but the theology of it is wonderful and uh, two things that uh, are often spoken of in chronicles are the importance of the, the temple and prayer and you see both of them here in second chronicles chapter 7 uh, when I was a boy, I heard many sermons on Second Chronicles 7.14, the last verse in your passage. Uh, a very common verse to preach from at revivals, and I've probably heard 20 sermons on Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, 
and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal, will heal their land. I remember when we moved uh, to Canada from the United States in 1975, 76, and uh, great celebrations going on in the United States over their uh, 200th birthday, uh, bicentennial year. And uh, there were lots of fireworks and parades and lots of meetings. And uh, many Christians were talking about this verse. We need to pray for our country. And it starts, of course, with those who believe in the Lord. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. starts with God's people. Too often we're worried about what's going on outside of the church. Man, let's worry about what's going on in here. Um, I was so disappointed. Uh, evangelicals had a prayer meeting in front of City Hall. And uh, when was that? I think it was the 14th. Now, there are 3,000 evangelicals, at least 3,000 in Sarnia, who meet for Sunday and, and worship God every Sunday across Sarnia. We, I don't think we had 30 to pray for our city. No wonder, no wonder, no wonder the city's got problems. Christians won't even get together to pray for their city. Sad, really. And if you weren't there, I'm talking about you. <laughs> uh, we, we, we wonder, I, I used to, by the way, this isn't even the sermon. This is all introduction. <laughs> I remember people used to come to me and they used to say, Pastor, we're so, we're so unhappy they've taken prayer out of the schools. I said, I can't even get people to pray in the church. They should take it out of the schools. Until I can get Christians to pray, why should we make people who don't believe in God pray? Man, let's get, let's get God's people praying. And then I think when, when all of God's people are praying, then we can worry about the people who aren't Christians praying. Thank you, Betty. Okay, I, I didn't want to break out into a sermon. This, this has nothing to do with the sermon. This just happened to be in the passage that we're looking at. What I wanted to concentrate in on the passage is the way God answers Solomon's prayer and then what they say in response. So let me hit the big, big idea first, and then we'll move on from there. If you notice in verse 1, As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the temple's just been built, first time. David wanted to build it. God said, no, your son will build it. So David spent 20 years of his life and 20 years of his reign, just collecting things for this temple to be built. Solomon builds it. The glory of the Lord fills it. The priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's temple. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down, consume the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's the meaning of all of it. That's why we have a temple. That's why we have a prayer. That's why God answers prayer. Because he is good and his love endures forever. And they're, they're, they're giving voice to what this means. Why have a temple in the first place? Why have a temple? Because God loves his people. And he wants to come down and live in the midst of them. Why does God, answers, why does God answer prayer? 
because he's good and he loves his people. That's why he does it. He's good and his steadfast love endures forever. So that's the big idea. I want you to see that God loves people. God loves people. Many times when we read our Bible and we read our Old Testament, we get the idea God's mean. Seems that way in the Old Testament. He's a God of justice and a God of law. But the Old Testament is full of the love of God. God loves us. After all, that's why he made us. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he did not just leave them there. He came down and he talked with them and he walked with them. Why? Because he wanted to have a relationship with human beings. That's really the common theme of the whole Bible. We have a God who wants to have a relationship with us and who wants to live with us and wants to dwell with us. And as you go through the entire Bible, that's what the whole Bible is all about. We, gotta, we have a God who wants to be in a relationship with us. starts in the garden when he makes man and he walks with him. It continues at the cross when God comes, his, his son, second member of the Trinity, comes as a human being and takes up his dwelling among us so that we can see his glory and it will continue in the book of Revelation when we go to heaven. And, the, and it says, God's dwelling is with men and with them forever. Why does God do that? Because he loves us. He loves us. I was reading a science fiction novel this past week. Science fiction novel, they're going to a distant, distant star, 20 light years away. And so they go into cryosleep. And they go into cryosleep and they go through a wormhole and they think they're going away for 20 years. They get, to the, they get to the other planet, and they find out that 7 million years has passed. Something went horribly wrong. Now you have a young man and a young woman on another planet, 7 million years, now 7 million years in the future. They look back at Earth, and there's nothing here. He goes, we need to go back and tell people what we found. And she goes... There's nothing there. As I thought about that, I thought, the vastness of space, even if we could travel to other stars, the, the universe is so massive and so big, so enormous, and God is there. In fact, the farthest star is 13.2 billion light years. 13.2 billion light years. That's how long it takes light to get there. And scientists think that, that it's actually a galaxy. Scientists think that a that actually that light is from 200 million years after the Big Bang. The, the universe is enormous. It's no wonder in today's world that people feel lost, feel that they have no meaning, kill themselves, because in the vastness of space, in the vastness of time, what does a life matter? Scientifically, it doesn't. It doesn't matter what happens to you. It really doesn't. You're just matter. It's God that makes the difference. He's the one who gives meaning to our lives. And he gives meaning to our lives because he loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us. It's staggering to think that the God who made all of this wants to have a relationship with you. Why does he want to do that? Because he loves you. The Israelites, when they see the glory fill the temple... They've got to stop and worship. And what can they say? God is good and his love endures forever. 
How does one respond to the glory of God? Notice what they do. First of all, they realize they're incompatible with the glory of God. The priest can't enter the temple. God's too wonderful. He's too amazing. We can't be around him. Peter feels that way when Jesus does a great miracle and they bring a, and they bring a whole net load of, load of fish into the boat. Peter goes, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. When he sees how wonderful Jesus is. So it is for us. We are incompatible with the glory of God. So all we can do is humble ourselves and worship. And they fall on their faces to the ground. And they worship God. And then that's what they say. God is good and his love endures forever. God is good and his love endures forever. In fact, they write a number of psalms about it. They are in your Bible. Psalm 106 Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 117. Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 136 says it over and over through the psalm. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Here are some of the prayers that Solomon prays. Now he's praying to God. And essentially his prayer is, God, we're building this temple, and when people come here and pray, answer them. Here's his prayer. Second Chronicles 6. When a man wrongs his neighbor, is required to take an oath, and he comes and swears the oath before your altar, hear from heaven and act. When your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned, and when they turn back and confess your name, praying and making supplication before you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel. Bring them back to the land. When the heavens are shut up, there is no rain because your people have sinned against you. And when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin, then hear from heaven and forgive the sins of your servants, your people. When famine or plague comes to the land, and when a prayer or plea is made by any of your people Israel, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and deal with each man according to all that he does. And as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, when he comes and prays toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. And when your people go to war against their enemies, and when they pray to you towards this city you have chosen, then hear from heaven their prayer. And when they sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin, you become angry with them and give them over to their enemy. And if they have a change of heart and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong and acted wickedly, if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul, and pray toward the land of their fathers, toward the city you have chosen. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. Then from heaven hear their prayer. Now, may, now my God, may your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. place would be a place of prayer. So that when we have done what is wrong, when people have done what is wrong, God would hear from heaven and would respond to them, heal them. Why? Because he's good and his love is it forever.
when John Crozier was in Indonesia, he sent us back uh, stories of people that he met in Indonesia. And this is a story of a young Muslim girl, and I thought I'd just read part of it, and a nice conclusion about how God loves us. I grew up in my Muslim village in Indonesia without a father. And when I was growing inside my mother, my father said, if there's anything wrong with this baby, it's not mine. And I was born with a third of one of my upper eyelids missing. My eyes are fine, but you can see the top part of the white of my one eye. People think I'm blind in one eye. When my dad saw me, he walked out of my life and left mom on her own. No one knows where he went. Mom's Muslim mother said I was cursed by the spirits. I was despised and rejected by important adults that I didn't know. I grew up with friends at school who accepted me. After a few years, my lonely and poor mom had an affair, gave birth to my sister. The father was already married to another woman in our vi village. He visited with us girls from time to time. He was the only dad I knew. When I was in my last year in high school, my dad started to get me alone and force himself on me sexually. I was overwhelmed, traumatized, and lost. Normally a good student, one of my teachers picked up on how I'd changed, and she pressed the issue with me. What's wrong, Christine? What's going on? I was terrified to tell her. I also feared to say anything because my Muslim village is interrelated in various ways. They are all relatives, some distant and some close, and I'm just a girl. My teacher wouldn't let me go. When she found out what was going on, she firmly, firmly, patiently helped me develop strength to go to the police. My family and relatives blew up. Why didn't you tell one of us first? Why did you do that to us? My dad was furious. Um, if I was overwhelmed, confused, and terrified before, I wasn't ready for what he said to others and to the police. He said I was the guilty one. I was the problem. However, the judge believed me, sent him to prison for two years. I wasn't ready for how my dad and relatives accused me of doing wrong. I was over the edge now. Didn't understand adults. They were supposed to take care of me, not attack me. And for four months, I stumbled around without knowing what to do with the pain inside. My mom couldn't help. She didn't know what to do. Somehow I managed to graduate from high school, but I was broken in pieces inside often breaking down and weeping in front of others. In the great kindness and love of the Lord, a student who had graduated from Bible school started a Bible study in my Muslim village. I could hear a few people singing with joy to a God whom they praised for being with them and helping them. I've not heard this kind of singing at the mosque. I didn't know Christians at a Bible college in a nearby city had been praying a long time for someone in my village to open their heart to the gospel of Jesus. One night I dared to go to the Christian study, but I mainly sat in my chair crying. The young pastor who led the study cared about me and my brokenness. He accepted me in all my hurt and confusion. The little group simply invited me to join with them in reading the New Testament, seeing the beauty of Jesus. He was completely different from the only other earthly father I knew. Jesus only did what was best for people. He healed the broken when no one else could. After a few weeks, the study came to the account where Jesus calls Peter and Andrew to become his disciples. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Wow, I had not yet experienced the Lord using his word to powerfully and personally speak to my heart. 
But I did the moment we read the words. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It was like Jesus was speaking to me personally in my heart with his hand extended to me. The Lord burst through my pain and fog with the brilliant light of understanding. My mind was suddenly fully excited with insight, conviction, and hope. Follow me, Christine, and I'll make you into someone new. I will not only lift you out of your pit, I will make you someone who can help others follow me too. I, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, am calling out to you. Just as I called out to these disciples, I have a plan, a purpose for your life. It's good, it's good for you, and it's good for others. Instead of being hurt inside, I want to make you healthy inside. Instead of being needy with others, I want to make you helpful to others. It was like a four-year-old who could only count to a hundred, suddenly having a mind that understood algebra. I clearly knew what the words of Jesus meant for me. Beautiful. The Lord Jesus became real to me in a new way. By his spirit, he was right beside me, talking to me through his word, calling me. Hands stretched out to me to take me by the hand and follow him. Now I was overwhelmed in the best of ways. After a few minutes of the word sinking in, I responded with trembling and excitement, as I would if someone visible had spoken to me. Yes, Lord, here I am in all my mess. If you want to lead me, I will follow. If you want to give me a new life, I surrender and accept your offer. If you want to save me from my mess, also make me so healthy I can help others, reach out my hands to take hold of your hands stretched out to me. Make me a fisher of men, someone who helps others follow you as we all walk together with you, following you as you lead, teach, and care for us. The next weeks were filled with joy of new hope, a new sense of purpose and direction. That's the goodness and the love of God. I'm not going to read you the rest of the story. Um, the rest of the story in some ways is not easy. She becomes ostracized from her village. However, she does become a soul winner and a fisher of men. And uh, God God does that. And that's that's the love of God. It's, I thought it was so interesting. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. She seemed to understand that passage far better than any of us do. That he calls us the same way. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you so capable, if you follow me, that you will bring other people to Christ. You will. Wow. Isn't that great? Yeah, if you're not fishing, you're not following. Thank you, Sam. Um, So when you think about God this week, we have a God who is good and a God whose loyal love is forever. Let's grab hold of him. Grab hold of him. He loves us. Wants to have a relationship with us. Let's respond to him. Let's look to the Lord in prayer.